you have your Bible, take it and turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 14 and the book of John chapter 6. Matthew chapter 14 and John chapter 6. Uh, the Lord's been dealing with me on this subject for quite about, about, about two weeks now. Uh, we will not kick off a new sermon series until October. We just see events happening in the life of our family. But as I was meditating on this sermon, I almost I asked the Lord today, I was like, Lord, can I please not preach this sermon today? Because it's really evolved into a really great sermon. It, it's evolving into what would be a great sermon series. And I'm like, Lord, let me, let me wait, let me put this together. But anyway, I'm going to preach this today so you may hear parts of it again later in a whole sermon series. But uh, Matthew chapter 14, I'm going to summarize the first few verses because you're very familiar with it. It's the story of uh, John the Baptist being beheaded. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 1, it says, And at that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and then that he said, Man, John the Baptist must have been raised from the dead. And uh, so it says in verse 9 of chapter 14, Although the king regretted that he had gave the promise to Herodias' daughter that uh, whatever she wanted, he would give it to her. And she asked for John the Baptist's head on the platter. And so uh, anyway, in verse 12 of chapter 14, it says, Then John the Baptist's disciples came and removed the corpse and buried it, and they went and reported it to Jesus. Now, this is what happened. Now, when Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by a boat, and he went to a remote place to pray. And when the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns, and he, as he stepped on the shore, he saw a huge crowd, and he felt compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Now, underscore this in your, in your, uh, in your Bible right here, that he felt compassion for them. He felt compassion for the sick, and... Uh, is he, he began to move for them. What God is looking for is a church today that is feeling compassion. A church that's going to feel compassion for what God is doing in their hearts and their lives and, and this whole passage of Scripture. And so here's what it says in verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard about it, he felt compassion for them. And when evening came, the disciples approached him. And as they came to this place in the wilderness, it was already late and... Uh, Man, he began to heal their sick, and then he, he was going to send them away, but he said, let's feed them. You know this story, and you've probably heard a lot better preachers than me preach on it where he fed 5,000 people. And, uh, and so they said, bring them to me. And so he brought them, and they fed them 5,000 men and women. Now, let's just stop right here, and then you know the rest of the stories where Peter walks on the water. Now, here's what I want to draw for you today is... What do you see in your life? What is the first thing that you see? Do you see God or do you see the devil? That's the title of this sermon. What do you see? Do you see God or do you see the devil? You, may, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, uh, something happens in somebody's life and the first thing they say is, Oh my goodness, boy, look at what the devil's doing to me. Amen? I mean, what's your first reaction? Is it the devil or is it God? You see, we have to make a choice in our life, and we have to make a choice in our life right now. What is God doing in our heart and in our life? And we have to decide, who do I see? Do I see God or do I see the devil? Here's an interesting thing. You may have saw this before. Look at this right here on the screen. Uh, what does that say? If you look at it real quickly. God is nowhere. 
God is nowhere. And that's normally how we think, isn't it? We see it and we think, oh my goodness, God's forgot about me. God's on a journey. God doesn't love me. He wouldn't let this happen. He wouldn't let my mama get cancer. He wouldn't let my spouse leave me. He wouldn't let my child to be on drugs. He wouldn't allow my children to become involved in the same-sex attraction. He wouldn't allow all this to happen. I'd have never had this baby out of wedlock. And we say, God is nowhere. But if you look at that very carefully, that's actually, it says something else, doesn't it? It says what? God is now here. So is God now here or is God nowhere? Is somebody in the house hearing what I'm saying? Is God nowhere or is God now here? You see, we've got to make that decision in our life. Where is God? Well, I want you to know on the authority of the Word of God and not on some denomination or not some fancy preacher that God is not away on a journey. He's not sick. He's not ill. He's not taking His eye off of you. Though you may be walking through hell by the square inch and you may not know what to do and you may not know where to turn and all hell will sell you, God is not taking His eye off of you. The question is, have you taken your eye off of God? And in this passage of Scripture, there's three things that I want you to write down about it. And I'm going to summarize this because it's a lot of text. Jesus could see God. For God so loved the world, He gave what? His Son. When the heart of Jesus was broken, because just a couple of chapters over, you remember they were having this dispute about John the Baptist. And matter of fact, John the Baptist was even in prison doubting what he was doing. Yes, the same man, stay with me for a moment, church, the same man that saw Jesus walking down a dusty trail and said, Behold the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. The same man that baptized Jesus down into the waters of the Jordan and saw the dove descending upon Jesus and an audible voice coming from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Are y'all going to have to help me out here the church? And so as he saw these three things happening, the sun going down, the dove coming down, and the voice coming down, we're talking about John the Baptist, okay? He had seen some miracles. He was seeing God. But just a little bit later, he's in prison, right before he was executed, and he sent his disciples to Jesus and said, Are you the one or do we need to look for another? <clears throat> Wait a minute, church. God is now here. A voice from heaven, a body in the water, and a dove descending. Could you not say God is now here? But now John the Baptist is in prison just a few chapters earlier, and he's saying, oh my goodness, God is nowhere. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Do I need to look for another? A crisis of faith. We have a crisis of faith because any faith that hasn't been through a crisis is not worth having. Any faith that has not been through a crisis is not faith. The hymn writer said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness because he had been through the storm. He had been through the storm. God is nowhere or God is now here. As we think about this, Jesus could see God. Now, Jesus said of John the Baptist when he asked that question, he said, I'll tell you this, of man born of woman there is none greater. 
And he turned to the crowd and he said, let me tell you this. You go back, and he told to turn to John's disciples and say, you go back and you tell John, at the blind see, the dead are raised, and the sick are healed. And then he turned to the crowd and said, now when you went out there and saw John in the wilderness, you didn't just come see some little old pansy waist preacher that was just like Mickey Mousing around. No, you came to see a man of God preaching the word of God from heaven and it impacted your life and of men born of woman there's none greater than John the Baptist but yet here's John's head on a platter and now the heart of Jesus is broken I mean this child this this relationship goes all the way back to when they were you know the, the Mary and Elizabeth were cousins it goes all the way they were playing together before they were born because you remember the story about the Immaculate Conception and stuff. When Mary and Elizabeth came together, it says, both of the boys began to cut somersaults, basically, that's my word, cut somersaults in the womb. When they came in contact with one another, they began to cut flips and carry on. They were playing together before they were ever born. I mean, this relationship goes a long ways back. And when Jesus heard the report, do you think that he didn't know it already? But when it was reported to him, all of a sudden, he came to the end of himself and his heart was broken. And Jesus told his disciples, he said, guys, we just got to get away. Let's go to a remote place and let's get away. Let's get away so that we can get along with the Father. His desire was to get to where God was. I want you to understand something, my brothers and sisters, today. That when we begin to descend down into the valley of despair and we feel like God is nowhere, we begin to run from God, but God is running to you. And I want you to know on the authority of the Word of God, we've got to get to the place where God is and not to the place where man is because man doesn't have the answer. Man doesn't have the solution. Religion doesn't have the answer. Theory of man, psychology doesn't have the solution God has the solution and Jesus said when my heart is breaking when I'm overwhelmed in despair when I'm tired and I can't persevere one more moment I've got to get along with the father see Jesus didn't say God is nowhere Jesus said I got to get to where God is matter of fact if you flip over to John 6 I actually asked you to turn there earlier it's the same story. But it gives a different account. In 6.4 it says, Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Therefore when Jesus looked up, he noticed a huge crowd coming towards him and he asked Philip something. He asked them, Where can we buy enough bread to feed all these people so the people can eat? Now look at what 6.6 6 says. He asked them this to test them. Now the Bible says in the book of James, it says, Do not say that when you're tempted, you're tempted by God, because God doesn't tempt anyone, but God will test you. Because a faith that has never been tested is not faith. Are you hearing this morning? And as he goes on, it says, For he himself knew he was what he was going to do already. And in the midst of this, there was Philip. And he answered a great logical question. Oh my goodness, Jesus, 200 denarii wouldn't even buy enough 
bread for all these people. And even if we had 300 denarii, there's no stores out here. We're in a desolate place. And here comes old Andrew. He said, basically, I've scurried the crowd and I found one little boy with a sack lunch. We talked about this just a couple of weeks ago. A couple of little bony fish and a couple of little naughty biscuits. But what are they with so many? Now, here's the thing that I want you to see. There's two things. That when Jesus hit a crisis, he went running for the Father. But yet the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus didn't count it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took on the form of a servant, a bond servant. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. But he went running to the Father. The Son went running to the Father. The Son went running to the Father. And my question for you today is that when your little vessel, your little life, our little life, my little life begins to head through tumultuous waters, where do we go running? When we're emotionally broken, when we're physically broken, when we're financially broken, when we're spiritually broken, when our hearts are broken and there seems to be nothing going right, where do we run to? Where do we run to? Jesus went running to the Father. Now, I ask you to underline this. Now, there was a Jewish festival near. Therefore, when Jesus looked up, he saw huge, a huge crowd. Now, why would I ask you to underline that? Because, mercy, get this. Religion, religion had drawn a large crowd. Religion will draw a huge crowd. But when they got to the circle of religion and they kept the festival. And they kept the feast. And they checked the boxes. And they dotted their religious I's and crossed their religious T's. They were still hurting, wounded, and broken. You see, Jesus saw them leaving camp meeting basically. And when they got to where Jesus was, he was moved with compassion. Oh, today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, what God is looking for is men and women who will be moved with empathy and compassion for those who are broken, doomed, and damned and have no hope in sight. And I want you to know, you don't have to go very far to find somebody. Amen? Matter of fact, you may just need to pull out your iPhone and turn your camera towards you and there's the person right there in the lens that you're looking at. You might just be the one that came crawling in here today saying, Pastor, I I need a word from God. I can't make it one more day. I can't go through one more night. Lord, I don't know what to do. Come running to the Father. His arms are stretched out open wide. Religion will get you high, but it will leave you low. Religion will show you where to start, but it won't bring you to the finish line. Only Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, can do that. Oh, today... I thought that was interesting that they had left camp meeting because religion didn't satisfy. Now, I'm not saying religion doesn't do good things, okay? Don't, don't leave here saying that. But I am telling you that religion is not the answer for the world today. Jesus is. 
and a religion that doesn't point to the finished work of Calvary, a preacher that doesn't point to the pathway of the Via Della Rosa, I wouldn't listen to him for five more minutes. I don't care if he makes you feel good. I don't care if he makes you think good thoughts. I don't care if he moves you to a sense of being motivated. I care that you have life and have it more abundantly. And the only way that you can have that life is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the cross, the empty grave, and the resurrection. Jesus could see God, but the disciples could only see their limitations. Now, I didn't want to put this as a point because it's very brassy. It's very coarse. But basically, the disciples could only see their limitations meant the disciples could only see what the devil was showing them. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down? See, the Jesus, the devil wants to show you you're so limited, you'll never amount to anything. You've been this way your whole life. You will never, ever amount to anything. Jesus says, here's the way. <clears throat> yes, it's a narrow pathway, but man, I'm telling you that it opens up to a life filled of abundance. The abundant life can only be found in the Christ life which means it can only be found in the sacrificial life. Now, I'm telling you today, we better, we better pick this up, church. We need to pick up what I'm putting down right here, not on, because I'm putting it down because the Word of God is, because we are living in a day and time where if you're going to make it as a Christian, you're going to have to be hard-pressed on every side. Or you're going to cave in. You know, I, I, I'm thinking about Kim Davis. The woman who committed the hate crime because she couldn't issue the marriage certificate in Kentucky. And, you know, I, I think about that. And, and, man, I know a lot of people that love the Lord. And I've seen them make posts like this. Well, <clears throat> well, um, she needs to just realize that that's the law now. And she either needs to issue the marriage license or get herself a new job. Well, do you, do, do you realize that that's the same place that I'm in? You know, the, the, the interesting dynamic of that is that out of the whole United States of America, there was only one. I wonder how many clerks there is. I wonder how many county clerks there are in this country. And there was only one. There was only one that said, I can't do this. I can't do this. Look, look it, I, I'm, I'm identifying with her. Because I go all the way back to my ministry, and I mean, listen, it doesn't matter whether it's an issue of homosexuality. It matters like two people that are, you know, having sex the night before, and they come and they want to have a wedding in the church and say, oh, God bless this, pour down your glory and your grace and all that good stuff. And I mean, there's not much different. In a world that's going to hell in a handbasket, somebody, the God's looking for a... People to be moved with compassion to rise up and make a difference. Not that we shouldn't love them. Not that we shouldn't minister to them. But that we should say, I am a born-again, blood-bought child of God. I've got principle. I've got conviction. And I've got compassion. Conviction without compassion is legalism. And that equals religion. Conviction with compassion equals Christianity. 
One of my favorite hymns says, Dark is the sin that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow we can be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Do we see our limitations? You know, here's the interesting thing about that whole dynamic, and I'll move on. It's the only law that has ever been issued in our country that forces every Christian to have to abide by it. Abortion didn't do that. Abortion didn't make all doctors perform abortion. Abortion didn't force all people to have to abide by it, but only those who wanted to. But this issue of same-sex marriage does. I mean, isn't it amazing that we can make exceptions for things to accommodate the Muslim religion but not to I mean when that lady I don't know how long she's been there I didn't research this so I'm speaking of it kind of uh, ignorantly but I mean when she took that job I mean she never took it thinking I'll have to do this do you realize what it's like to have to go to bed with a heavy weight over your shoulder every night knowing that you're having a job that you disagree with some of you're saying yep yeah, I know that pastor uh, some having to condone something endorse something live with something that is against what you your very fiber and core that you believe in do we see our limitations or do we see God is God nowhere or is God now here Lord um uh, we don't have any money. Lord, there's, uh, there is no store to buy the bread. But, but Lord, uh, Lord, here's a couple of little naughty biscuits. It, it's not much, Lord. Here's, here's a few little bony fish. But, but God, what are they with so many? What God's wanting to tell you today. It doesn't matter how naughty your biscuit may be or how bony your fish may be. If you'll just put it in the hands of Jesus, the miracle can begin to happen. The disciples saw the limitation. They had some potential, but they saw the limitation. And then there was one disciple who saw things differently. His name was Peter. Matter of fact, if you flip back over to the book of Matthew 14, we'll see this story unfolding here. It says um, <clears throat> that after Jesus fed them, I want you to underline this in your Bible. It says in verse 20 that they picked up 12 doggy bas bags. That's where doggy bags come from right here. How many disciples were they? Is anybody out there? 12. How many baskets did they have left over? 12. So each, each disciple got a doggy bag. It would have been a doggy basket. Each disciple took, 12, took a basket home with them. Now, they weren't going home, though, <clears throat> because it says in verse 22, now get this, stay right here. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After dismissing the crowd, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now where did we start this thing out at? Isn't that why he went over here to start with? Because he knew God was now here. That he just needed to get still and hear from God. But I'm going to tell you that when you make a commitment, get this, when you make a commitment to get still and hear from God, somebody's going to knock at your door. 
It never fails. I'm in the hospital praying with somebody. I'm in the office praying with somebody. A phone always rings. You can sit in there for 30 minutes and talk to them and nothing happens. All of a sudden, you start praying. Ring, ring, ring. Or whatever their ringtone is now. I mean, it, it never fails. It never fails. And you'd be surprised how many people say, oh, pastor, I need to catch that. God's not calling you on AT&T. Anyway. He knew God was now here, and he had to get still and hear from him. So he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. See, there's some praying you can do with others, but there's some praying you can only do by yourself. And he went up on the mountain to pray, and when evening came about, he was there alone, but the boat was already over a mile away from the land. It was being battered by the waves. Now, all of a sudden, they looked out there, and somebody was walking on the water, and they began to be frantic, and they said, oh, my gosh, it's the devil. That's a ghost coming to get it. Isn't it enough that our boat's going down out here in the middle of the sea? Now the devil's coming to laugh at us while we're going down. Now flip back over to John 6 because I want to show you something here. Same story, John 6, 16. When evening came, the disciples went down to the sea and got in a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Underline this in your Bible. Underline this right here. Get this. Darkness had already set in. Darkness had set in. And sometimes when you're coming off of a spiritual high, darkness is right around the corner. But that doesn't mean you should give up, give in, or let go. It means you should believe in the power and the sovereignty of a supernatural God that he has the victory for you. He put, them in the vo- he put them in a boat, sailed them off in the darkness. They didn't have a million-watt Q-beam to flash across the Sea of Galilee. They didn't have all those things. He sailed them off in the darkness into a storm. But when the storm began to beat against their little vessel. They probably had to reach down and grab hold of their basket to keep it from sliding all over the boat. Are you with me? Oh my goodness, my little basket of leftovers is about to go down. God is nowhere. God is nowhere. My little boat, my little vessel, my life is going down. And while they were saying God is nowhere, they were holding on to the last miracle. I mean, they had in their hand the manifestation of the power of a holy God taking a few little naughty biscuits and a few little bony fish and multiplying it. But they were going down saying God is nowhere. But in the middle of the darkness of night, across the probably lighting, lightning popping across the sky, God is now here. Peter said, boys, that's not a ghost. That's Jesus. Was it because he was a prophet? No. It was because Jesus said, 
It is I, do not be afraid. Do you see God? Or do you see the devil? Lord, we've loved you so much. We've been faithful. We've done all this. And now my life is in the middle of a storm. How dare you? How dare you, God, after all I've done for you? God is testing your faith to hard press you on every side to get everything within you that's not of him out of you that you may be more like him, that you may glorify him in everything you say and do. See, God's not interested in making you comfortable. He's interested in making you Christ-like. Now, I'm not telling you nothing I haven't lived. That statement I've been saying for year, for 18 years, and I'm telling you that when I've walked through hard days and hard storms and it was so dark and you just felt like Job in chapter 3 and you're just like, God, curse the day that I was born. I don't want to get up. I don't want to press on. I don't want to move forward anymore. I'm telling you all of a sudden the devil will begin to replay that in my mind and say, oh, yeah, you've been preaching that all this time, but now it's time to live it. I'm telling you today that I'd rather go down and die on the victory on the side of victory with Jesus Christ and to give in, back up, and cower down to what the world says. And mm, mm, mm. Peter chose to see God. And he said, well, Jesus, is that you? Can I come on out there? And he said, son, the water's fine. And Peter walked on water. And then he sang. Peter did two things that no man's ever done. He walked on water. Have you ever tried it? I have. It didn't work well. I mean, it just goes through. He walked on water. And he was rescued by the first ever Coast Guard. Except they didn't have to drop a line from a helicopter because... What was over the head of Peter was under the feet of Jesus. Oh, somebody say amen. And Jesus reached down and pulled him out of the tumultuous waters, picked him up and carried him back into the boat, stepped into the boat. And the Bible says immediately when he got into the boat that they were already to the other side. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus gets in your boat, it's just like that. The question is today, church, who do you see, God or the devil? Now, I must leave you with a teaser because this is headed into the sermon series someday. Who afflicted Job? The devil did. But what did the devil say before he afflicted Job? Shucks, man. You know I can't get to the Job. You've set a hedge about him. In Job 1, 10 through 12, it says, You've set a hedge about him and everything that he owns. Take down that hedge and let me in and see if he won't curse you to your face and no longer serve you. So the devil was only the mailman. No disrespect to mailmen out there. The devil couldn't deliver the package till God permitted it. There's your teaser. Who do you see? 
God or the devil.